there, and welcome back to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your hostess with the mostess, the queen of burnout herself, (laughs) Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. I just have to say, I am so elated that you have come back for another episode of Dr. Me First, and this episode will not disappoint. I am talking to one of my absolute favorite people in this world, Dr. Linda Street, and she is bringing the topic negotiation. Let me tell you, folks, I thought I was a good negotiator. Then I got into the workplace and realized, no, I did not advocate for myself well. So having a redo and having to do it a couple times over, I now realize how much of a better negotiator I am because of this woman. So join me in this conversation. I think you're going to love it. Welcome to the podcast, my fellow friend, coach, podcaster, all the amazing things, Dr. Linda Street. It's great to have you. Yes, yes I'm so excited to be here again. It's like a 2.0. We're both it is a 2.0. Before we started recording, I did a little bit of deep dive and you are Miss Episode 116, fucking 200 episodes ago. We definitely need an update on what you're doing and what's happening in life. So the people who haven't been hanging with me since episode 116, tell a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in the world. Yeah. So the quick and dirty is I'm a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So I am clinical full-time still. And at one point earlier in my career, a couple of years ago now, I found out that my male partner was making 150000 more than I was. And while he had some responsibilities and some seniority and some reasons in academic land that he should be making more, that was a little bigger gap than I was willing to swallow. So, um, you know, air quotes are in this process too. But um, so what I did is really dove deep and I was in a coaching program for weight loss at the time and got a lot of coaching surrounding my negotiation and was able to get a $65,000 raise. So at that point, the idea was born of, hmm, maybe coaching can help people get more money. And we all know as women physicians out in the world that we are making less money than our male counterparts on a global scale, maybe not individually, but the majority of us are individually as well. So being able to advocate effectively for ourselves to me is in like the top three skill sets you should have. And the other two being able to kind of take care of yourself and then take care of your patients. So I think that negotiation is crucial. And I've spent the last three years really working on honing the skill set, learning communication techniques, because really negotiation is simply a conversation with the goal of making an agreement. So the more effectively you can communicate in language that is kind of high trust and inviting them into the conversation, the better off you're going to be. And I found that this has kind of bled into every other area of my life. So being able to communicate better when advocating for salary, for example, is going to help you when you're communicating with your spouse who wants to go somewhere different than you do for dinner or whatever it is. Even my children, I think that really using better language that's more invitational than confrontational is really useful. And so I've been helping women physicians do the same. It's been a lot of fun. 
I love it. Yeah, because you were just getting started and getting launched out and doing all the things. And, you know, honestly, I've kind of been a little bit of a creeper on the wall just seeing how many female physicians' lives you personally have impacted because you gave them the words to walk into the rooms where decisions were made and to come out on top. So I just want to give you all the applause in the world, like all the all the clap emojis. I'm putting them on Zoom right now, even though you guys can't see them, because <laughs> Linda, Linda's been kicking ass and taking names. And I have to say, my friend, I have just been so super impressed and cheering you all along the way. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it is so fun because you take these people that are brilliant women. I mean, we're all smart in medicine. Like you didn't get here because you weren't smart. These are brilliant people who have so much to offer, so much value to provide. And many of them are so crippled at the idea of advocating for themselves. Like we're such strong advocates for everyone else, but because of many reasons, primarily our socialization, advocating for ourselves is this big hurdle. It's our Mount Everest. And it really is a mental Mount Everest. There are a couple key shifts you need to make and then it's really not that hard. And so watching people make those shifts and those aha moments is super, super fun. Yeah, that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about negotiation. Let's do it. I want to talk about how we're culturally sensitized to be the nice girl and don't make trouble and don't speak out in meetings or ask for too much because you might be too much. I've been told that, that I'm, a lot or too much. And then also we'll touch on those those key shifts. I think that's what's so so critical for me when I'm talking to other coaches is to remind them like, yeah, I'm a burnout transition coach. I can kick ass, take names, but like the same things that you're going to learn in business or in negotiation or in parent coaching or sex coaching, like it all translate. 100% right. all translate. the same thing. Yeah, I love it. All right, so let's go there. I think we all know, I think we've all personally experienced it. If you are in a, if you are gendered female as a child, the socialization that happens, but I, I want to hear from your, your perspective now doing this as an expert in the last couple of years, talk to us more about how deeply that socialization impacts us. Yeah. And I think it's twofold. So I think some of it is the cultural socialization that we had as children. And I think the other piece of it is the socialization that we had in medical training, So I think that layers on top of that pre-existing socialization to make everything so much worse. And I actually took this advanced feminist coach training, which was super fun because I got to learn a lot of the history behind this. But if you look at how we grew up as little girls, oftentimes we were told things like sugar and spice and everything nice. I mean, even benign little children's nursery rhymes or sayings say that little girls should be nice. You should be helpful. You should be looking out for others. You never hear as a little girl, forget everybody else. You need to take care of yourself. Like, I never heard that. I doubt you ever heard that. And we didn't see it displayed. I mean, I can think of countless times where my mother took a day off work and my dad kept working and she came to every single play or every single whatever it was that I was doing in school. And if I threw up in the middle of the night because I was sick, my mom was the one up with me helping take care of those things. So there's this constant socialization and role modeling that the woman is the one who has to do all the things that are helpful and caring and providing for others. And there's not a lot of role modeling for some of us and then social kind of cues that, you know what? No, 
you're going to best take care of everyone else if you take care of yourself first. If you take care of your needs, it's not either or, it's and. If you can take care of your needs, you're going to do a heck of a lot better at all this other bullshit. But if you are so tired and tying into what you do is burnout, if you're so exhausted because you feel undervalued in your job, because lack of autonomy and undervalued and those type of feelings are what drive burnout. And some of what drives that is taking a, let's say, 30-something-year-old woman who has tiny kids at home and squishing her into a job that was built for a 40-year-old white man who has a stay-at-home wife who's taking care of everything on the back end so he can burn the candle until 8 p.m., write 3,000 manuscripts, whatever, but he doesn't have the same life as you do. So why would you fit yourself into the same career box that he's in? And medicine has designed how our jobs look to fit that patriarchal ideal. Back in the 1950s and the 60s and whatever, that was what you saw. And so medicine has been a little slow to evolve to really change how jobs look to kind of catch up with the more diverse workforce. And it's shifting a little. So we're seeing things like hospitalists and laborists and job shares and part-time. We're seeing women kind of carve those pathways out and really start to challenge this, I have to fit into an eight to five, always on call kind of job. But there's also a lot of deeply rooted in that you're just on call and available all the time because you're a physician. If you get called in at 2am, you're expected to be there, even if it's the fourth night in a row, whatever. Like there's a lot of this really one size fits all expectation for jobs that doesn't serve us. And I think that the key to staying in medicine and having women and the more diverse workforce stay in medicine, which is, we would all agree good for everyone we have to start making jobs that work for them instead of trying to make them change to fit jobs that don't. Yeah, I would not just say medicine is slow to evolve. Medicine has been resistant to evolve, like actively pumping the brakes and being like, no, we're not going there. So I think just like there's been a couple different waves of feminism, I think there's been a couple different waves of female leadership in medicine. And so that like first female wave is like when we have like the token female in med school, you know, like back in the black and white pictures and they're like, look, like as a DO, we were always like, see, we let women in from the beginning, you know, type of thing. So I feel like that was the first wave. And then the next wave was like women, when women got into leadership positions and became like chief of surgery and, you know, like certain things like that. I feel like we're in a third wave now where it's women like me who are at our institution and literally carving with our hands out and showing organizations that we can still be amazing doctors and have boundaries and not spend every loving second of our life in that office or hospital. But let me tell you, it has, it's a hard grind. You know, I mentioned job sharing back in 2014 with my organization, and they acted like I had three heads. Like they had no idea. They were like, that won't work here. We've not seen it modeled. Shut up, Wiseman. Go back and do your job. And then when I started doing telemedicine in 2017, I had so many people who were like, you're going to get sued. That's not how you can practice family medicine. What about the physical exam? Yada, yada, yada. And now look at today. I mean, job sharing is becoming more commonplace. I don't call it part-time work because Lord knows it's not part. Like it still takes up a full, but I call it alternative schedule work, job sharing, 
telemedicine, working from home, working from different environments. I just have to applaud this third wave of female doctors who are like, we ain't putting up with the shit. And yes, we can provide really good patient care. And it's going to look so differently than what you all have imagined. But just like step out of the side for a minute and let us show you. And it helps retain that talented workforce. It helps retain people in medicine who are like, look, if you won't work with me to make this work for me, I'm going to leave. I'm going to try something non-clinical. I'm going to pursue this different route. And while those are all really viable options, I never feel like they should be chosen out of desperation. Like if you're going to choose those things, choose them because that's what you want to do. Don't choose them because you feel you have no other choice. And, you know, and it feels hard when we're going and we're giving an alternative voice. And I just want to put that out there to our listeners because it is like I just went through recently a couple months ago, a new job negotiation. And I came in like a badass, like I was ready to go because I have been in situations. I know what works. I know what doesn't work for my family. I know what doesn't work for me. Like longer than about eight hours, I'm going to crash. And, and I don't want to depend on caffeine. I don't want to depend on other things to get me through. Like, I want to live a well-balanced life. And I told them, like, I want to be here to the end of my career. And this is what I need to keep sustainable in that. And I shit you not, they looked at me and they're like, this is the best presented plan that we've ever had. Sounds great. When can we get you started? I was like, what? They actually You're- gave me everything I wanted? But I think... I think it's coming from a place of like being so true and like so gritty, honest with yourself that I told them I was like max 20 hours a week because if I do more than that, then it becomes life sucking to me and I will not practice wet medicine in another way like that. And so it was scary because, you know, you don't know what other people are going to think on the other side of the table. They're going to be like, oh, that Wiseman woman, like she can't handle her shit or what kind of doctor is she? You know, like get all that, like when your brain starts to just be a total dick and gives you all the mean inner thoughts that you just have to remind yourself, like, I'm doing this for the best that I can. I'm going against that socialization. That's why this feels so hard. Right, right. And as I sit here on a Friday, it's my day off and I'm at the office, which is a fairly extenuating circumstance. I mean, even small things, like for the most part, I'm the only one. I'm in solo practice. I'm the only one who does what I do where I do it. And for the most part, if there's a need on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, they can roll the little telemed thing in and I can do it for my house. And it's totally fine. Today I came in because I had some sick folks and that's by far really uncommon. And I think that showing them like, look, this is a way that you have some availability because the alternative is that I turn off my phone and you have done. And you hire locals. Right, right. The alternative is not that you have me in person or me in person. Like the alternative is you have me by telemedicine or you have me not at all. It's not me in person or me in telemed. Like the alternative is that you just don't have me because that's not a condition that I can sustain. Like I know I'm by myself and that's okay because of those boundaries kind of in like little things like email. I don't even have my work email on my phone. It is very clear that if you have not emailed me by Thursday, probably at lunchtime, because that's our Friday. And by the time 4 PM or 5 PM hits, I'm not checking my email. I'm trying to get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. So if you haven't emailed me by Thursday at lunchtime, you won't hear back until Monday Mm -hmm. and that's okay. 
if it's important, they know my cell phone. Well, and it's setting those expectations up from the beginning. I'm the same way. So we're recording on a Friday. We're both kind of smudging our boundaries a little bit, but it's because we love each other so much and we wanted to make this happen. So it was a great exception, which is fine. Like there are always exceptions to the rule. It's just how many times are you making those exceptions? But for right. me as well, we, if the email is checked at 4 p.m. on Thursday and anything after that is probably not going to get answered till Monday morning at the earliest. Right. Just is. And I think, again, going against that like socialization and medicine of like, you always need to be on, you always need to be available because that's what makes you a good doctor is total and utter bullshit that we have to change. Right. Well, and I love the thought process. Sasha Shilkut always talks about like by answering your email at like 10 p.m., you're also telling everybody coming after you that that's the expectation. Mm -hmm. You're setting that boundary, not only for yourself, but you're also showing the people who look up to you, the people who are coming after you, that this is an expectation. This is what we expect. Versus if you can model those boundaries, you can help shift the culture just a little bit that this is what's expected. Like when I get a partner who's probably going to be fresh out of fellowship and I'm six years out at this point, when I get a partner, I'm going to say, look, this is what I do. And they're going to be like, okay, this is what's expected. And then all of a sudden, they have those boundaries too. And then that can pass forward and forward to where maybe the expectation is just that that's normal. That it's not a boundary. It's the expectation. And I think that's where in medicine, the second wave of feminism maybe got a little off course. It's like women had a seat at a p the table, but then they were still trying to act like men. Like they right. were... Or, or trying to show up in a very masculine way. And I can remember some of my female attendings, like they were more hard than the hardest male attending that we had. And I love that you put it that way of like modeling, modeling what you want to show up into the world. Because I think if those women, and uh, granted, they were just trying to survive as well. And that was their coping mechanism. But we can do better now. We can show show up and be better and advocate for our younger colleagues, for our medical students and our residents in a way so that we can keep this forward motion going. So instead of it being the exception to the rule to be like, no, patient, if you send a MyChart message, the expectation is it will be answered in 72 business hours. Not the next morning, not at midnight, because you want to talk about the rash on your right side of your ass. No, like you, we have to start pushing back on those boundaries because we've just let them so violate us that we're traumatized and we're burned out. Right. I go a step further. I don't talk to patients unless you're in front of me. I very rarely will call bad results if it's for whatever reason necessary to call it instead of have them come back in. But I almost never, my nurse is my first line. She talks to patients about normal results. She answers questions. I pretty much don't communicate with you unless you have an appointment in front of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's those safety things that you know, that's what you need. That's what you need right. for your day. And, and that's, that's okay. what you need. And it's absolutely okay. I love that. Well, let's talk a little bit. Let's just touch on your key shifts that every, every woman in negotiation and learning to communicate better needs to know. Right. I think the first one is just that initial oomph, like getting started. There's a lot of perception that negotiation is hard, that this is something that, especially in corporate medicine, you're oftentimes not negotiating with another physician. You're negotiating with a business person who has had formal training. So there's a lot of perception that they're better at this than me. I'm not good at this. I can't learn to do this. And I think if you step back a minute 
and look at what a negotiation is, you'll find you actually can do this without a whole lot of skill set gaining, right? Like certainly there are nuances and things you can do to set yourself up a little better, but it's really not that hard. The definition is a conversation with the goal of making an agreement. You have conversations with your patients all day long with the goal of making an agreement. You want them to agree with you to pursue a treatment plan. You want them to agree with you to say, okay, I'll do X, Y, and Z and pursue things. So really what you're doing is negotiating all the time. You're just not calling it that. And so stepping back and realizing that this is simply communication and you know how to do this. Women are excellent communicators as a whole. And so this is something you can do. I love that. I love that. Because I think about with my children, it's a lot of damn negotiation in my house. (laughs) Okay. And they're the hardest ones because they're not rational. They're these like crazy, insane humans that just happen to live with us. And they have no rational thought. And half (laughs) of my DNA. So they like know my tricks and tics, all that. My, yeah, my youngest is me 2.0, except for in a redheaded Gemini. And God bless America, that child is going to change the world. She is. We are raising world changers. What can we say? Oh my gosh. He's a mess. He's a mess. Um, But he he is the one that is harder for me to parent. But I'm like, because he's like me, (laughs) because he acts like me. Um, Exactly. And I think that has a correlation too into our contract negotiation and to our, our negotiations in our workplace. A lot of times those people are sitting just as close to the issues as we are. Maybe in a different perspective, but if we can realize that that's maybe sometimes why it makes it so hard because they're looking at the budget sheet and we're looking at the patient side, but we're still all looking at the same issues. So key, key shift number one is just get started. Remind yourself it's a conversation with a goal of making an agreement. This is just simply communication. What's number two? So I think number two is you wouldn't win your oral boards. So don't win a negotiation that your entire career is dependent upon or a negotiation that the next two years of your contract and how your life looks is dependent on. So my second tip is really plan ahead. And it doesn't take months and months or years and years. It takes like several hours. So when I walk my clients through this, I'm like, look, I just want you to really thoughtfully think about a few things. One is, A, what do you want? Because... I think it sounds so stupid to have to pause and think about that. But I think so many of us go into negotiations thinking only about salary that we forget to look at the whole picture. And what do we want? Do you want to work less than 20 hours a week? And that's a hard stop for you, right? I work four days a week is my full time. So I'm 0.8 and I'm the only one. Trust me, everybody wanted me to work Fridays. And I was like, no, like that is a deal breaker for me. Because I have this side business and Fridays are for that. I need, my brain needs to be able to focus on different endeavors and Friday is for that. And so be able to like really honestly look at what do you want your job to look like? What do you hope for? What would be your perfect? Because if you don't know what you want, you certainly can't ask for it. Boom. Mic drop right there. You know, and what I do from that too is then I also flip it. And be like, what are your like non-tolerables? 
What will you no longer tolerate moving forward in this point in your life? And I like make them write that out in big letters because it's so easy for us to like backslide and be like, well, it's not that bad. Or, you know, they're going to compensate me better for my on-call, even though I'll be Q2. And so I think it's just important to be like, what do you absolutely want? And then on the other side, be brutally honest and be like, what will you no longer tolerate? Right. And once you have that, you can flip the coin to what do they want? Mm. So I think the other piece that we tend to neglect in a negotiation is the mindset of the people we're having the conversation with. So I actually, I'm really nerdy about this. I have my clients draw out a Venn, Venn diagram. And then on one side, it's like, what do you have to offer and what do you want? And on the other side is what do they have to offer and what do they want? Like the organization you're working for, what are their goals? What are their absolute must-haves? What are the things that they really need you to do? And then what are the things they would like to happen, right? Because there are going to be certain things that are potentially non-negotiable for them. Know what those are. And then if you focus on that, how can I get what I want in the context of still giving them what they absolutely have to have? Or how can I position my strengths in the context of being the perfect solution to the problem that they're looking to solve, because the reason they're hiring you or the reason they're employing you is you solve a problem for them. You're a solution. You make something happen that is in alignment with their goals. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay you to work there. So how are you the perfect solution to their problems? And how can you solve those problems in a way that honors what you want? Having just gone through this, that was one of the questions when I was interviewing was like really making them pin down Like, what exactly are you looking for? And I found that organizations who were very, the one I ended up picking, they were very clear. They were very pointed at like, this is what we do. This is who we serve. This is what we're looking for to help us accomplish those goals versus other ones who you just get the feeling like they're just putzing around. And to me, like, I have a best friend and she's, her name's Kelly Thompson. She's a career coach and she always says, success loves clarity. And it's so true. Like if it feels putzing around, how is that going to be different when you get in there? But if they're very clear, I want a family medicine doc who works in the FQHC, who serves the underserved, low socioeconomic group, and those dealing with mental health and addiction issues with their primary care needs. Boom. I know my role. Right. And you can present yourself as like, look, that's what I want to do. And this is how I'm going to do that really well in less than 20 hours a week. Yeah. Booyah. This is how I can accomplish your goal in the context of what, what serves me, what helps me stay in this job. Because it's not just about you getting what you need. It's about the longevity for them too, because they're looking for less turnover. Turnover is expensive. It's exhausting. It's one of those things. I mean, we're, we're having some nursing turnover right now and it's a lot of effort, but I'm willing to bypass six candidates until the seventh comes along. If that's a good fit, because the fit of somebody who's going to stay and fit well and help the team dynamics thrive is so much more important to me than having a body right now. Just an ass in the seat. Yeah. Right. And I love your idea of the Venn diagram too, that it's not two concentric circles totally overlapping. 
Like that there is going to be some space that you are not going to fill. There is going to be some need on their side that is not going to be in your wheelhouse. So then I think as female physicians, then we don't like try to fix it all or save it all and and like remind ourselves, like not my circus, not my monkeys. This is what I was employed to do. This is what I'm here to do. And it kind of then takes that guilt off of like when they're asking for more or you see a problem and you're trying to fix it. It's like bringing yourself back into like, no, this is what I got and this is what I can give. And that over there, that's not my problem to fix. Right. Your overlap is the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. That's that's where you are at your best. You are filling the needs they have. That is where the magic is. And that's it. what helps you stay. Yeah. Stay in that sweet spot. hundred percent. So key shifts. One, remember it's a conversation. Simply communication. And we rock that shit already. Two, don't wing your negotiation. Get help. Plan ahead early. And three, remembering the other side and what they want and how to align yourself. Linda Street, that's like worth $1,000 straight gold right there. And it's that simple. Like it sounds like, oh, it's not really that easy. Yes, it is. I have worked through this with hundreds of women and it really is that simple. I love it. Well, if people are heading into negotiation, they're thinking about it and they've really been blown away by you in this conversation, where can they hang out with you more? Yeah. So you can come hang out with me at my podcast if you want to get a flavor for kind of how I look at things and what I'm doing. It's simply worth it. And I also have a website at simplystreetmd.com. I love it. They're both very good. And if you're listening to my podcast, you know you already know how to do podcasts. Just go over and hang out with Linda. She's given so much great information. Like I said, I just sit back here in this the stadium, like fangirling all the time with my pom-poms and cheering her on. So Linda, I hope you have a great rest of the day. You get home, you get to do what you want, put your boundaries in place. And the badass in me honors the badass in you, friend. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to hang out with you and your badass female physicians. Hey, are you tired of going at it alone? Well, friend, you don't have to anymore. Come sit with me. I want you to know that it's okay if you need to take a break. It's okay if you need to talk about some real crappy things. It's okay. You're not the first to feel like this, and you don't have to stick it out and be miserable. There is a way out, and there's a whole movement of fierce females in your corner. If you want to come sit with me and be in my community, you will not see me in Facebook groups. I freaking hate Facebook with a deep and fiery passion. (laughs) But what you can do is come over to Aaron Wiseman's Badass Collective on Slack. Because guess what? Once a badass, always a badass. And this isn't anything that's paid. It's not anything that I'm like throwing huge promos at you. It is simply a community where I am trying to get people together in the same space so that we can have these kind of conversations safely and in a protected manner that you feel so loved on. It's the whole purpose. So click in the show notes, get over to the Slack group. We do have some community rules. But, you know, that's just how it goes. But I would love to see you in there. I am in there almost every single day having real conversations, posting crazy pictures of my kids and gifts, all that good stuff. And I want you in there, too. So come on over. Come sit with me. 
if you want more of Dr. Linda Street, you can go way back in the Dr. Me First archives to episode 116. That's right. I need to send out the like pageant sashes of like Miss Episode 116, Miss Episode 205. <laughs> All of those. But yeah, you can hear Linda Street from way back when she was first getting started talking about this exact topic as well. She's got lots of free resources. She's got groups you can be a part of. There's no excuse that you can't become a better negotiator, advocator for yourself, and get paid what you are worth. So go find those resources. Hang out with Linda. You will not be sorry if you did. And from my side, I just want to encourage you. It is absolutely always okay to ask for help. But at the end of the day, you advocate for you. You take care of what's important to you. Figure out those priorities and then fight like hell to make them happen for yourself. And if this negotiation doesn't work out, there will be another opportunity. There will be something else that comes your way that will fit the mold. So hang in there, keep to the faith, have hope. And remember, there's so many of us out here We got your back. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you, friend. 